Hi, I'm Chinny. I'm Astrid. And welcome to It's a Continent, the podcast that decolonizes history one story at a time. So we're here to challenge the common misconception that Africa is a country and essentially appreciate the identity of each nation. Um, and through each episode, we'll be exploring key historical moments which have shaped the continent. Hello and welcome back to part two. How is it going? What are we up to? Apart from doing this right now? <laughs> Apart from doing this right now? Um, I mean, it's hot. I actually had to have another shower today because of the fact that it felt like summer. Is that just your way of like making yourself feel like it's summer that you're like, because I'm not going to lie, hon, it was like 18, 19 degrees. So what? Was it no, not? It must be hotter in London. No, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. I, <laughs> I mean, there's also that and drinking elderflower cordial because I, you know, this is my lifestyle now. Lockdown, what can I say, has unveiled new patterns that I never thought I had. Mm-hmm. I do love elderflower. Mm. Anything elderflower, I'm there. Love it. Where are we? Carrying on from the episode that we had two weeks ago. Um, Before we get into that, African Pride. Yes, we're going to have another African Pride because why not celebrate more Africans? So, Jolene Samuels of South Africa set up a raffle on social media to encourage people to get the coronavirus jab. And she started this three weeks ago, around like mid-August. And she basically offers bottles of wine and perfume to those who get vaccinated. (laughs) Which I wish I had a friend like this. <laughs> so, where, like, all my friends have done is just post it on social media. It's like, but where's my bottle of wine and perfume? But anyway, in an interview with BBC Africa, she spoke about how before she was eligible for the vaccine, she would be watching people in developed countries and how they didn't want the vaccine. I'm not going to name any names. Not going to name and shame. Um, and her and her friends were really heartbroken because they wanted the vaccine and they couldn't access this. And of course, this is an ongoing issue. Like when we think about what's going on um, in terms of the number of vaccinated people and the number of actual vaccines that have been held within richer nations compared to what's been actually distributed to those nations that can't necessarily afford to stockpile. But anyway, I'm not going to name and shame. I'm just throwing the shade. Celebrating on social media that she had the vaccine, um, Jolene was like, you know, she got home and she realised that she, yes, she had perfume and she had wine. And she decided to add her friends to a list, so essentially a raffle if they got the vaccine. And this was so successful that other friends jumped in with cash prizes. And there was an outpouring of names and proof of vaccination and people donating prizes. And people then thanked Jolene for encouraging them to get the vaccine. So she's raising awareness about the importance of vaccination. And this, yeah, such a good idea. Yeah, to be honest, before when I'd seen other countries do this, where it's like, I think is it in the US that they're, you know, giving people money if they get the vaccine. And I was like, why don't people just like get this? But I fully appreciate that. You know what? Whatever it takes to get people vaccinated. Amazing work. Keep encouraging people to get vaccinated. As you can tell, hopefully by this, you can tell where we stand on the topic of vaccination. If you're, <laughs> yeah. if you're listening. We are not, hotel, we do not have a hotel opinion on, <laughs> on vaccinations. It's a disclaimer. Mm. We are not sponsored by the NHS or anything. We're just, we're just saying. Yeah. Today's episode follows on from part one, where we introduced Yari Museveni. Uganda's current president, who has been in power since 1986, when he declared himself a leader of the country following a coup. Make sure you go back and listen to part one first, then come back to this one to, you know, mm-hmm. finish it all off and get some closure. It's an episode, not an X. Like. <laughs> there is no closure. In this episode, we'll focus on another event that took place in 2021, the Ugandan elections. 
On January 16th, 2021, Ugandan's Electoral Commission declared Yari Museveni the winner of the election, meaning that his rule would continue since 1986 wasn't enough time. It's not enough. So in 2019, following roughly 33 years in power, Museveni had reached the age of 75, which was the country's presidential age limit. Uganda's top court dismissed a previous ruling to scrap the presidential age limit, so Museveni was cleared to run for the presidency once again. Even though the way things are going probably will end up working until 75. Although, (laughs) rather disturbingly, I saw... (laughs) It's not funny. But I saw a picture of a woman in Walmart who was working and they were like, oh, congratulations, she's now 92. And I'm like... 92. What, what? What kind of dystopia is this? No, no, nope. <laughs> 92. Yeah, so, I mean, if there are hugs out there or still working at 92, I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Even if I still had the energy, anything, everything like that, still good to go for working, 92, there has to be a cutoff point with this employment thing. Do you know what I mean? But this guy is president, so he's definitely not letting go. If it means changing court decisions and all of that, it's going to be done. Just got to get your way. Although I suppose Joe Biden, he's, you know, kind of lost count of how old he is, but he's still up for, isn't he? Yeah, he's... maybe I think he's one of those people. I don't know how old is he. He just looks older in, the, in his face, but he's maybe younger than I think he is. Okay, I have Googled it. According to Wikipedia, he's 78. But it's not as if he's held the sort of position as president since the mid 1980s. Yeah, that is true. He is he is pretty pretty new to it. Um, but to be fair, so they're pretty much yeah the same age. He's just to be honest, as they say, Museveni's definitely not one to show you the ropes. (laughs) (laughs) He's not really why you want to be shadowing, is he? (laughs) Yeah, not not someone you want to be job shadowing for, (laughs) teaching you the completely the wrong things, wrong things. But um, definitely wow, not. 70, do you think he looks seventy eight? He look. I think he looks younger than seventy eight. I can't lie. I thought he was in his eighties. But anyway, there were eleven candidates running for the presidential position in the twenty twenty one elections, which is weird because nobody has ever won since Museveni's takeover, ever. Museveni's main political competitor was none other than Bobby Wine. That's a stage name owing to his musical career, and it stuck. Bobby grew up in a poor area to the north of Kampala, Uganda's capital. His musical career took off in the early noughties with popularity in Eastern Africa. His music even then had a socially conscious message and Disney included one of his songs in the film Queen of Katwe. Bobby also acted in Ugandan movies, so I'm sure there's an unofficial Ugollywood, and had a reality show called The Ghetto President, which... You know, I actually decided to have a look on YouTube. Did you find anything? It was given Ron's house. I need to see this. However, it's not all in English, but I could kind of get the gist of what was going on. Okay. I'm sure one of our <laughs> listeners can translate it for us. Yeah, yeah please. <laughs> in April 2017, Bobby Wine announced his candidacy for Parliament, and he was successful through his community approach and door-to-door campaign, which got the attention of the nation as he beat more experienced candidates from the ruling National Resistance Movement, the NRM, and the main opposition party, the Forum for Democratic Change, the FDC. 
In 2019, Bobby Wine announced he was going to run for president in the 2021 elections. He joined the National Union Platform Party, the NUP, and they nominated him as their presidential candidate in November 2020. Bobby Wine influenced young people living in Uganda, so he was ending the rule of the same corrupt people for years. That was what he was aspiring to do. And those who only ever knew Museveni in power, because there are a lot of them, were drawn to Bobby because of the way he criticised the government. Other supporters liked him because he was more in touch and better positioned to tackle challenges young people face. He does, he sounds kind of familiar, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Familiar figure. And it was from this point onwards that Museveni's government decided to make Bobby Wine's life as difficult as possible. Yeah. I do like when people, like whoever, you know, he's a musician, but just feeling there's definitely like a need for change. I'm going to put, put myself out there to make a difference and I think you know better options please because to have had you know Museveni for this long you're just looking for someone who's just going to do better and not just because I'm sure Museveni has people around him who you know kind of yes men who are able to maintain him keep him in his position but having someone who is so willing and open to be vocal is Good to see. I'm always, you know me, love the kind of underdog story. I'm just like rooting internally. Um, we were rooting for you. Although I'm not going to lie, when you were saying like it's so relatable, I was honestly, in my mind, I was like, for the many, not the few. I'm going to get that tattooed. I'm so, I'm so... <laughs> it's like, what's that on your arm? What does your tattoo mean? It's like, yeah, I did actually get for the many, not the few. Yeah, I, yeah, I know. He didn't. He didn't quite win, but you know. <laughs> oh well, I can't believe it. Honestly, we'll never, we'll live on in my heart. As soon as Wine was declared the NUP's candidate, the police arrested him. So yeah, that makes sense. According to Joel Senyoni, a spokesman for the NUP party, the police used a hammer to break the windows of his vehicle and forcefully dragged him out. They bundled him into their own vehicle and took off. So yeah, just a trigger warning here, guys. Police brutality. According to conversations with the AFP news agency, Wine was tortured and beaten in the police van. And in a conversation with the AFP, Wine said, They sprayed me with tear gas. Hot metal was placed in my hands. I have scars all over. My whole body hurts. Bobby Wine wasn't the only opposition candidate facing attacks. Patrick Oboi Amuriat from the Forum for Democratic Change was bundled into a police van on a journey to his party headquarters. In his words to the AFP, it is disgusting, disappointing, but this was expected by a regime that is shameless, desperate to cling to power. Clearly, Museveni's administration was rattled. The government then went on to use COVID-19 as an excuse to ban presidential campaigning in the capital Kampala and 10 highly populated districts. Cause more votes, obviously. Critics say the ban was because opposition campaigns were popular in these areas. And after the ban was announced, Bobby Wine tweeted, The dictatorship is in panic. They have been surprised by the massive enthusiasm and support we have received within all parts of the country. They just can't imagine what would happen if they allowed our people to meet in these areas. On the other hand, the NRM claimed they had no issue with the campaign ban because they said the priority was saving the lives of Ugandans. The opposition also took the view that if COVID was really applying pressure on the government, they could have delayed the election, but not that that would have made much of a difference when Museveni would play the cheat code to win again. 
The government continued making Bobby Wine's life harder as he remained the biggest threat to Museveni's grip on power. Following Bobby Wine's arrest in November 2020, the second time in a month, his supporters protested in response. At least 37 people were killed in the worst unrest in Uganda in a decade, as security forces were heavy-handed. Most of those who died suffered from gunshot wounds and many more were injured, and the police arrested at least 577 people. Bobby Wine's lawyer, Nicholas Opio, said that whilst Wine was arrested on a coronavirus violation, quote-unquote, it was part of the broader attempts to stifle opposition campaigns. The government continued punishing Bobby Wine's opposition camp, with Wine's bodyguard, Frank Kalibala, murdered. A military police truck deliberately ran Frank over, and a journalist was taken to hospital as a result. The Ugandan military denied this, and in an interview with CNN, Bobby Wine called on the international community to condemn the action of the Ugandan government. He revealed he'd had two assassination attempts on his life. Wine wanted the US and other countries to stop cooperating with Uganda until Museveni stopped the alleged human rights abuses. We say alleged, actually, but I think they are actually human rights abuses, as we can see. Yeah, you can't be going out here running over people. Yeah, I I mean, mean? that is clearly... Yeah, and two assassination attempts as well. And all this is, is just him running an opposition campaign, which is something that is, you know, in a democracy. Yeah. Something that is... Should be perfectly legal and safe to do. He claimed that Uganda received over $100 million a year for security, but this was actually used to murder people, oppress Ugandans, and abuse human rights. So this is actually, like, when you think about um, the money... Because remember in the previous episode, we talked about how the US was supporting of Museveni mm. and how Western countries like it when you have a despot in power that's just sat there for years, but they're not really developing their country, but they, you know, they can work for your interests. Interest, yeah, yeah. So that money that the US is sending, so if they're receiving this money for security, but actually the government is the one that is funding these violent attacks on Bobby Wine and his people. Mm. and his you know the people that support him his team they're targeting like it then becomes very dangerous even just to work for someone who's campaigning to be president not even that they are like they haven't even cast the votes yet yeah that's true for even like yeah for your own bodyguard to be murdered they're not you know they're working for them they're not part of they're not out yeah. here campaigning they're and not being even the politicians face of, yeah they're not the face yeah. of the campaign um, for them to be murdered and be kind of at, for their life to be at threat is a big deal is yeah yeah and then if you think about it as well like is sanctions really the right way to deal with this because it says when you say okay let's just stop sending them money but if we think about for example the NSARS um, what's happening in Nigeria and there were I remember some said oh we should sanction Nigeria we should do a uh, we should have a petition to sanction Nigeria but actually this can lead to more hardship and it can actually be more of a hindrance than helping the people who live there so it's a very fine line because it's like how do you punish the despot without then punishing the state and I think that's the difficulty and why especially from Museveni's perspective he's in sort of the perfect position because he's getting Mm. this money from the likes of the US coming through they like him in that position because it means kind of from a relationship perspective, whatever they need kind of gets done. And because if that money goes, they have to keep maintaining that. And so it serves him to stay in power and it serves the US for him to stay in power. That I just think like sanctions 
no matter what it then if they go it hides the population still even with the little that i'm sure he's doing for the country very little um yeah yeah it's regardless that still hurts the overall population because i'm sure like all the other classic despots that we've had they mm. have their own little piggy bank in several mm. <laughs> several other areas so that Swiss doesn't banks and them man yeah do you know what i mean that doesn't that doesn't hurt him at all no no exactly um, at the end of the day you are still hurting the most vulnerable and the poorest within the society the Red Pearl movement also rose to prominence during this time. You can follow them on Twitter at Red Pearl MVMT, where they continue tweeting about the atrocities and human rights abuses that persist in Uganda under Museveni's regime. Its origins lie from a progressive youth base who want to see the end of Museveni's government. They've been campaigning alongside Bobby Wine to change the government, and many have been killed or injured for their cause. I remember like when Clubhouse was busy, um, they did have like, because obviously it's happened 2021. So because the internet had been shut down, they had people that were kind of dialing in on the phone yeah, like via people on Clubhouse to tell us what was really going on. And it was quite revealing because it just spoke to how I wouldn't have really known if not for that app, like in, in terms of the detail of what was really happening within the country. No, and it's good just in terms of just bringing to light this and the fact that these young people are risking, you know, death and these kind of serious injuries mm. to just highlight and bring to light what is going on in their country, which is why I think kind of social media activism is such an important element especially in situations like this in terms of just making broader society globally aware of what is going on during january 2021 the red pearl movement encouraged people to change their social media profile pictures to red in a show of solidarity sometimes people do complain about, oh it's just turned into a social media campaign but actually in some respects it increases the visibility of what's going on mm. And even though, yes, we're tired of the, ooh, swipe right to learn more about this. And it, the infographics on Instagram can be a bit draining. But in the long term, they have actually helped to highlight some of these matters that are happening because you know that they wouldn't typically report it um, mm. in traditional press. No, definitely. And I think it's just like an awareness piece because even if you're able, even if it's just a couple of hundred people who've clicked and have learnt more about the situation, it's also just raising awareness obviously there is just so much stuff going on out here in the world you know we are in a pandemic but at the same time there are people you know who have to deal with a pandemic also having to deal with a president who is never leaving at this rate do you know what i mean mm. it's um and they're having to fear for them for their life but they're still fighting for this i think it's really important like the role of social media within these countries um, is really important. And we spoke to Farida Nabarema as well about the changing face of activism online. So check out the Togo resisting authoritarian rule episode, um, which was between season three and four. That was a great episode. I know we say that every time, but that was a really good episode. Oh, I, it, honestly. Was, it was good. The day before the presidential election, the Ugandan government went on to block social media in an internet blackout as they made moves to prevent young people from sharing what's going on in Uganda and gaining solidarity. It is such a threat to a lot of these leaders because they know the impact it can have. This is why, I know I've said it about, this is probably like the 50th time, 
why it's just so important because social media and the internet is just a massive threat to them. Mm. The country went without the internet for 100 hours. They claimed this was to stop outside interference with the election. I'm sorry, hun, but (laughs) who is trying to... Apart from the US, of course. But it's clearly going the Lebanese's way. So who is actually... Who is actually trying to stop? Do you know who's trying to tamper with this? Who is trying to tamper you with Ugandan elections? It's estimated that the internet shutdown cost the Ugandan economy around nine billion dollars, as it impacted so many businesses and services. And yeah, all for what? Because this goes back to, isn't it? He can afford the country to lose nine billion dollars. He himself, as leader, has a stash. And so it doesn't bother him. It's just like, well, it's, you know, their loss, isn't it? Because, you know, we don't want to interfere um, with these elections. It's just, oh, there's just, it's so illogical, but it's just so maddening sometimes. No, definitely. And there's also been quite a worrying precedent about many African countries that have had deliberate internet blackouts. So in October 2020, uh, Tanzania restricted access to the internet and also restricted social media apps during elections and then in june 2020 ethiopia imposed an internet shutdown which lasted for about a month after unrest that followed um after the killing of a prominent oromo singer and activist hachalu hundensa zimbabwe togo burundi chad mali and guinea also restricted access to the internet or social media apps at some point in 2020 and according to access now which is an independent monitoring group there were 25 instances of partial or total internet shutdown in 2019, compared with 20 in 2018 and 12 in 2017. So something is happening. Mm-hmm, yeah. um, and also don't forget the, the whole Twitter ban that Nigeria recently had mm. because of Bihari. And I think it's just going to get worse. That social media activism piece is only going to keep on increasing because generations go on. We're being brought up in this social media kind of way of living this is how to communicate this is how to connect with people shutting it down yeah you can do it for a bit or whatever but the longer you do it for the more attention you draw to your country which um yeah it's probably not what they they want either on january 16th 2021 museveni won a sixth presidential term in office uganda's electoral commission declared museveni the winner with 59% of the vote, whilst Bobby Wine got 35%. The voting turnout was 52%. Wine went on to allege voting fraud and urged citizens to reject the result. He had a point. Election observers were baffled by 409 polling stations reporting 100% voter turnout. I mean, come on. You know when, I don't know, if some, when you've cheated on something and you don't want to look like you've cheated, so you put a number that doesn't... Like at least if you want to cook the books, like at least cook it well. It just isn't normal for not a single voter to be sick, away from home, or simply not turn up to their polling station. So true. It's only 100%. Maybe everybody in Uganda is just very, you know, has amazing health and everybody, every time it's a polling station, you just battle through. Even if you're in hospital, battle through, you're making it to the <laughs> yeah. polls. Cause... I mean, if the voting turnout was 52%, but then you have over 400 polling stations reporting 100%, like the math is not math. It, it is here. not math. But still, they insisted that Museveni won. And it really puts things into perspective when you think that Bobby Wine was just a child when Museveni came into power. 
The US condemns the electoral process, mm-hmm. of course, with one of its diplomats describing it as fundamentally flawed because of the violence and harassment of the opposition. Bobby Wine ended up having to withdraw his petition challenging the result because the court system, in his words, demonstrated the highest level of bias. He was blocked from submitting all the evidence, such as soldiers and police officers pre-ticking ballot papers in favour of Miss Ebony. Can you imagine going to your police station and, and just, just saying, like, just sorry, like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. This police officer is just like... It's just and just being like, oh yeah, my name's James, my name is Sarah, my name is... <laughs> and I all... I mean, these are not Ugandan names, but we get the <laughs> we get we get we get the picture. We get the picture. Get the picture. I will, yeah. Get the yeah. <laughs> Didn't have any to hand. <laughs> no, I just had to go with what what came top of mind, guys. Apologies. Sorry, we do live in the UK. And this petition would have been used to legitimise Museveni's electoral corruption. Um, and Bobby Wine continues to actively highlight the oppression taking place in Uganda on his Twitter, which is at he bobby wine that's h-e-b-o-b-i wine so what's what's me up to these days do you reckon do you think um just out here enjoying the presidency at the age of 76 he continues his regime in uganda and recently he made an announcement that he intends to track every vehicle and motorcycle with the digital monitoring device to contain insecurity in the country in his words if you try to remove it we shall go for you, which sadly seems to have been his mantra for electoral campaigns, particularly if somebody is deemed a threat to his presidency. To be honest, that's the attitude. Yeah. Switch that out and say, if you try to remove me, we shall go for you, you know? Pretty much. Pretty much. <sighs> yeah. That was part two of Museveni and the situation in Uganda. These, I always try and be like, at this point, I'm not surprised, but it's just how it's just so blatantly done in the eyes of the entire world and still managed to get away with it. And he still tries to to shut the internet because then people can't actually talk about it online so that we still don't really know what's going on. We still don't know all the details of what went on because people, I'm sure, would have been live tweeting what they were seeing and he kind of hid that from the rest of the world. So that's another reason as well why they do these internet blackouts. Um... It's another story about a despot who just is clinging on to power, which sadly remains the case for so many countries within the continent. Thank you for listening, guys. We are going to be off. We're taking a bit of a mid-season break. Yes. And we will be back pretty soon. So make sure you follow us on our socials and we will see you soon. You can follow us on at It's a Continent Pod on Instagram, at It's a Continent on Twitter. And our website is thecontinent.com. Catch you guys soon. Thanks. Catch you later. Bye. Bye.